Welcome to Volume 5 of The Magical Monarch of Mo. The Tenth Surprise The Duchess Bread and Butter's Visit to Turvyland. The Duchess Bread and Butter was 47th cousin to the Monarch of Mo and great grandniece to the Queen, so you can readily see she was nearly related to Princess Patty Cake and had blue blood in her veins. She lived in a pretty house on the bank of Rootbeer River, and one of her favourite amusements was to row on the river in her boat, which, although rather small, was light as a cork. One day, as usual, the Duchess went for a row on the river, expecting to return home in about an hour. But after floating a long distance down the stream, she fell asleep in the boat and did not awaken until she felt a sudden shock. Then, sitting up and looking about her, she found to her alarm that the boat had drifted to the end of the land of Mo and was in the rapids leading to the great hole in the ground where the river disappeared from view. Becoming very much frightened, Red and Butter looked for the oars of her boat that she might row to the bank, but soon she discovered that the oars had fallen overboard and were lost, leaving her without any means of saving herself. The poor Duchess now began to cry out, but no one heard her. Gradually, the boat came nearer and nearer to the great hole, now bumping against the rocks and spinning around with the current, until at last it paused for an instant on the very brink of the chasm down into which the river fell. The girl seized the sides of the boat in a firm grasp, and the next moment it plunged headlong into the hole. After the shock was over, Bread and Butter wiped the moisture from her eyes and looked to see where she was and what had become of her. She found that she had landed in a very remarkable country, and for a time could do nothing but gaze and wonder on the strange sights that met her view. The trees were all growing on their top branches, with their roots high in the air, and the houses rested on tops of their chimneys, the smoke going into the ground, and the doorsteps being on the tops of the buildings. A rabbit was flying around in the air, and a flock of skylarks walked on the ground, as if they belonged there. Bread and Butter rubbed her eyes, for at first the girl thought she must be dreaming, but when she looked again everything was in the same unnatural position. To add to her amazement, she now saw a queer creature coming toward her. She might have taken him for a young man, only he was just the reverse of any young man Bread and Butter had ever seen. He stood upon his hands, which were clad in boots, and used his feet as we use our hands, seeming to be very handy with his toes. His teeth were in his ears, and he ate with them and heard with his mouth. He also smelled with his eyes and saw out of his nose, which was all very curious. When he walked, he ran. When he ran, he stood still. He spoke when he was silent and remained dumb when he had anything to say. In addition to this, he wept real tears when he was pleased and laughed merrily whenever anything grieved him. It was no wonder that the Duchess Bread and Butter stared in surprise when such an odd creature came up to her backwards and looked at her solemnly from his pug nose. Who are you? asked Bread and Butter, as soon as she could find breath to speak. The young man kept quiet and answered, My name is Oopsie Down. I think you are, laughed Bread and Butter. You think I am what? demanded the young man, the voice coming from his ear. Upside down, she replied. At this retort, the tears rolled down his cheeks with joy. Why, it is you who are upside down, he said. How in the world did you get up here? 
Down here, you mean, corrected the Duchess with dignity. I mean nothing of the kind, he said silently, while his nose twinkled with amusement. This country is up, not down. What country is that? inquired Bread and Butter, much perplexed by such an absurd statement. Why, Turvyland, to be sure, came the answer. Oh, sighed Bread and Butter, but she was no wiser than before. Now you are here, said Upside Down. You may come home with me and eat some dinner. I shall be very glad to, answered the Duchess, who was really hungry. Where do you live? Over there, replied Upside Down, pointing to the south. So stay where you are and follow me. Then he walked away on his hands in exactly the opposite direction from that he had indicated. Bread and Butter followed him and shortly after encountered several other people of just the same queer appearance as her conductor. They looked out of their noses at her in great surprise and without speaking asked upside down who she was. The Duchess Bread and Butter, he silently answered. I found her where Rootbeer River bubbles up. Isn't she a queer looking creature? She, she is, is indeed. indeed, they all answered in a still chorus, and then they followed the girl out of curiosity, as boys follow a band or a dancing bear. When they reached the house of Upside Down, more than a hundred inhabitants of Turvyland were at breaded butter's heels and Upside Down's thumbs. She was welcomed very kindly, however, and the young man's mother kissed the Duchess with her left ear, an act which was considered a special mark of favour in Turvyland. Would you like to stand up and rest yourself until dinner time? asked the lady when the girl had entered the parlour. No, thank you, replied Bread and Butter, who was very tired. Being ignorant of their customs, she did not know these people usually stood up when they slept or rested. Her answers seemed to satisfy Upside Down's mother, who thought when she said no, she meant yes. You really don't look equal to lying down, she remarked pleasantly. So you may stand until I call you for dinner, which will be in a long time. Then she excused herself and walked backwards out of the window, which Bread and Butter noticed they all used instead of the doors. Dear me, said the Duchess when she was left alone. I'm sure I shall never be able to understand these strange people, but I mean to sit down anyway, and if it really is a long time before dinner, I shall probably starve in the meantime. She had not rested more than a few minutes, however, before the lady again put her foot through the window and waving it invitingly toward her, exclaimed, Go away to dinner. Go away, replied the Duchess in dismay. Where shall I go? Why, to me, of course, replied Upside Down's mother dumbly, but she winked her nose thoughtfully as if she scarcely knew how to converse with such a strange visitor. Surely Bret and Butter ought to know that when they said go in Turvyland they meant come. In spite of her uncertainty, she followed her hostess, and when they entered the dining room, the Duchess was shocked to see all the family stand on their heads on the chairs and pick up their knives and forks with their toes. She was more horrified, however, when they began to eat, for contrary to all custom, these people placed the food in their ears, and they did it so calmly that she did not even remonstrate, remembering that it must be their habit to eat in this way. She herself sat down in her chair in a proper manner and began to eat with a fork in her hand, and when the people of Turvyland saw this, they all shed tears and merriment. Just then the youngest child of the family began laughing, and the mother rushed to it as fast as her hands could carry her to see what was the matter. But the child had only put its foot into its pocket and could not get it out again. The mother soon managed to get it free, and then the child stopped laughing and began weeping as happily as any of the others. Bread and Butter was greatly bewildered at all this, but she ate heartily nonetheless, and after having begged her in vain to stand on her head as they did, the family let her alone, being surprised to see how well she could use her hands. 
After dinner, Upside-Down's sister played on the piano with her toes while the others indulged in a dance, whirling around on their thumbs in the manner truly marvellous and seeming by their tears to enjoy themselves very much. As the dance ended, a kitten came running into the room on its ears and the tip of its tail, which looked so funny that Bread and Butter began laughing. But seeing that she had frightened her kind friends who wanted to send for a doctor, she refrained from laughing and asked gravely if she could not find a way to return to the Valley of Mo. The only possible way of getting down there, replied Upside Down, is to jump into the Rootbeer River, but that would be dangerous, and none of our people have ever tried it. Any danger, said the Duchess. I will gladly brave, for otherwise I should be obliged to spend my entire life down here, among people whose ways are exactly the opposite to my own. If you will kindly take me to the river, I shall lose no time in making an effort to return home. They good-naturedly assented to this and walked backwards with her until they came to the place where the river bubbled up. It really did bubble up, Bread and Butter noticed, although she knew very well she had fallen down the great hole. But then everything was topsy-turvy in this strange land. The girl found her little boat, which had stranded on the beach, and having placed it where she could push it into the river, she turned to say goodbye to the queer people of Turvyland. I'm glad to see you go, said Upside Down, without speaking, for I like you, but you are a strange creature, and perhaps know what it's best for you. Here are some oars for your boat, for I see you have none, and when you get down to your country, you may need them. Bread and Butter joyfully accepted the oars and placed them in her boat. Then the people of Turvyland all kissed her with their left ears, and waved their toes in farewell, while the Duchess got into the boat and pushed it out into the river. Instantly she was in the midst of such a whirling of foam and rushing and roaring of root beer that she could neither see nor hear anything. Gasping for breath, the girl clung tightly to the sides of the boat, and in a few minutes it was all over. The boat bobbed up in the valley of Mo, just above the great hole. Bread and butter then seized the oars and rowed hard until there was no danger of her falling in again, and soon she had passed the rapids and was rowing safely up the river to her own home. Of course, the Duchess was very glad again to be among the people who acted in a natural manner instead of the absurd fashion of her friends, the Turvylanders. She resolved that whenever she rowed her boat upon the river again, she would be very careful to keep away from the Great Hole, for she realized that another visit to Upside Down and his people would be very trying on the nerves. The Eleventh Surprise Prince Fiddlecumdoo and the Giant It happened one morning that the monarch of Mo was not in his usual pleasant humour, and of course there was an excellent reason for this. At the back of his garden grew one tree that generally bore an abundant crop of animal crackers, and although the king and his court, being surfeited with all the dainties of the land, did not much care for these edibles, the younger inhabitants of Mo were especially fond of them, and yelled with delight whenever the king divided the crop of his tree among them. A few days before, the king had examined the tree and found the animal crackers not quite ripe, whereupon he had gone away and forgotten all about them. And in his absence they had ripened to a delicious light brown, and their forms had rounded out so that they hung as thickly together as peas in a pod. As they swung from their stems swaying backwards and forwards in the light breeze, they waited and waited for someone to come and pick them. But no one came near the tree, and the animals grew cross and restless in the consequence. I wonder when we shall be gathered, remarked a hippopotamus cracker with a yawn. How you wonder, do you? 
mockingly replied a camel cracker hanging nearby. Do you really expect anyone to gather you with your thick hide and clumsy legs? Why, the children would break their teeth on you at the first bite. What? screamed the hippopotamus in much anger. Do you dare insult me, you humpbacked beast of burden? Now then, now then, interrupted a wolf cracker that hung from a stem just above them. What's the use of fighting when we are so soon to be eaten? But the camel cracker would not be appeased. Thick-headed brute, he yelled at the hippopotamus angrily. Humpbacked idiot, shrieked the other. At this, the camel swung himself fiercely on his branch and bumped against the hippopotamus, knocking him off the tree. The ground underneath was chocolate, and it was soft and sticky, not having dried since the last rain. So when the hippopotamus fell, he sank halfway into the ground, and his beautiful brown color was spattered with muddy chocolate. At this vengeful deed on the part of the camel, all the other animals became furious. A full-grown goat cracker swung himself against the camel and knocked it, in turn, from its stem, and in falling on the ground, it broke its hump off. Then a lion cracker knocked the goat down, and an elephant knocked a cat down, and soon the whole tree was in a violent commotion. The animals fought with each other so desperately that before long, the entire tree full of animal crackers had fallen to the ground, where many lay broken and disfigured, and the remainder was sunk deep into the chocolate mud. So when the king, finally remembering his tree, came and looked on the sorry sight, it dampened his usual good spirits and he heartily wished he had picked the quarrelsome crackers before they began fighting among themselves. While he stood thinking dismally on this, up came Prince Fiddlecumdoo and asked permission to go on a journey. Where do you wish to go? asked the king. I am tired of this beautiful valley, answered Fiddlecumdoo, and as the bicycle tree beside the crystal lake is now hanging full of ripe wheels, I thought I would gather one and ride over into the next valley in search of adventure. You see, this prince was the king's youngest son, and had been rather spoiled by petting, as younger sons often are. The next valley, my son, is inhabited by the giant Hotelath, said the king, and should you meet him, he might do you an injury. Oh, I am not afraid of Hotelath, replied Fiddlecumdoo boldly. If he should not be pleasant to me, I could run away from him on my wheel. I don't know about that, responded the king. There may be bicycle trees in the next valley as well as here. It is always dangerous and foolish for anyone to leave this valley, where there is everything that a heart could wish for. Instead of running away in such an adventure, you could do better to remain at home and help your mother pick color buttons and neckties for the family. That is work, said Fiddlecumdoo sulkily. I hate work. Yet someone has to pick the color buttons, returned the king, or we should be unable to keep our colors on. Then let Jollikin help my mother. I am horribly tired of this stupid place, and shall not be happy until I have travelled around and seen something more of the world. Well, well, go if you wish then, answered the king impatiently. But take care of yourself, for when you are away from this valley, there will be no one to protect you from danger. I can take care of myself, cried the prince, so do not worry about me. And he ran away quickly before his father had time to change his mind and withdraw his consent. He selected the best and ripest bicycle on the tree, and, having mounted it, was soon speeding away along the path to the mountains. When he reached the far eastern part of Mo, he came on a bush bearing a very great quantity of violins, and this at once attracted Fiddlecumdoo, who was a most excellent violinist, being able to play correctly a great number of tunes. 
So he dismounted and selected from the bush a small violin that seemed to have a sweet tone. This he carried with him under his arm, thinking if he became lonesome he could amuse himself with the music. Shortly after resuming his journey he came to the Maple Plains, a level stretch of country composed entirely of maple sugar. These plains were quite smooth and very pleasant to ride on, but so swiftly did his bicycle carry him that he soon crossed the plains and came on a river of pure maple syrup, so wide and deep that he could neither leap it nor swim it. Dismounting from his bicycle, the prince began looking for some means of crossing the river. No bridge was visible in either direction, and the bank was bare save for a few low bushes on which grew maple bonbons and maple caramels. But Prince Fiddlecumdoo did not mean to be turned back by so small a matter as a river, so he scooped a hole in the maple sand, and having filled it with syrup from the river, lighted a match and began boiling it. After it had boiled for some time, the maple syrup became stringy, and the prince quickly threw a string of it across the river. It hardened almost immediately, and on this simple bridge, the prince rode over the stream. Once on the other side, he sped up the mountain and over the top into the next valley, where he stopped and began to look about him. He could see no roads in any direction, but away down at the foot of the valley was a monstrous house, so big you could easily put a small village inside of it, including the church. This, Fiddlecumdoo thought, must be where the giant lived, and although he saw no one about the house, he decided to make a call and introduce himself to Mr. Hotelaf. So he rode slowly down the valley, playing on his violin as he went, that the music might announce his coming. The giant Hotelaf was lying on the sofa in his sitting room, waiting for his wife to prepare his dinner, and he had nearly fallen asleep when the sound of Fiddlecumdoo's music fell upon his ears. This was so unusual in his valley that the giant arose and went to the front door to see what had caused it. The prince had by this time nearly reached the house, and when the giant appeared, he was somewhat startled, as he had not expected to see anyone quite so big. But he took care not to show any fear, and taking off his hat, he bowed politely to the giant and said, Mr. Hartelaf, I suppose. That is my name, replied the giant, grinning at the small size of his visitor. May I ask who you are? I am Prince Fiddlecumdoo, and I live in the next valley, which is called the Valley of Mo. Being determined to see something of the world, I am traveling for pleasure, and have just dropped in on you for a friendly call. You're very welcome, I am sure, returned the giant. If you will graciously step into my humble home, I shall be glad to entertain you at dinner. Prince Fiddlecumdoo bowed low and accepted the invitation, but when he endeavored to enter the house, he found the steps so big that even the first one was higher than his head, and he could not climb to the top of it. Seeing this difficulty, the giant carefully picked him up with one finger and thumb and put him down on the palm of his other hand. Do not leave my bicycle, said the prince for if anything should happen to it, I could not get home again. So the giant put the bicycle in his vest pocket, and then he entered the house and walked to the kitchen where his wife was engaged, preparing the dinner. Guess what I've found, said the giant to his wife, holding his hand doubled up so that she could not see the prince. I'm sure I don't know, answered the woman. But guess, pleaded the giant. Go away and don't bother me, she replied over the stew pan, or you won't have any dinner today. 
The giant, however, was in a merry mood, and for a joke, he suddenly opened his hand and dropped the prince down the wife's neck. Oh no! She screamed, trying to get at the place where the prince had fallen, which was near the small of her back. What is it? I'm sure it's some horrible crocodile or dragon or something that will bite me. And the poor woman lay down on the carpet and began to kick her heels against the floor in terror. The giant roared with laughter, but the prince, now being able to crawl out, scrambled from the lady's neck and standing beside her head made a low bow and said, Do not be afraid, madam. It is only I. But I must say, it was a very ungallant trick for your husband to play on you, to say nothing of my feelings in the matter. So it was, she exclaimed, getting upon her feet again and staring curiously at Fiddlecumdoo. But tell me who you are, and where you come from. The giant, having enjoyed his laugh, now introduced the prince to his wife, and as dinner was ready to serve, they sat down at the table together. Fiddlecumdoo got along very well at dinner, for the giant thoughtfully placed him on the top of the table, where he could walk about as he pleased. There being no knife or fork small enough for him to use, the prince took one of the giant's toothpicks, which was as big as a sword, and with this he served himself from the various dishes that stood on the table. When the meal was over, the giant lit his pipe, the bowl of which was as big as a barrel, and asked Fiddlecumdoo if he would kindly favour them with some music. Certainly, replied the prince. Please come into the kitchen, said the giantess, for then I can listen to the music while I am washing the dishes. The prince did not like to refuse this request, although at home he was not allowed to enter his mother's kitchen. So the giant carried him in and placed him on a high shelf, where Fiddlecumdoo seated himself on a spool of thread and began to play his violin. The big people enjoyed the music very much at first, for the prince was a capital player, but soon came a disagreeable interruption. About a month before, the giant had caught several dancing bears in the mountains, and having brought them home had made them into strings of sausages. These were hanging in graceful festoons from the beams of the kitchen, awaiting the time when they should be eaten. Now when the dancing bear sausages heard the music of Fiddlecumdoo's violin, they could not resist dancing for it is well known that sausages made from real dancing bears cannot remain quiet where there is music. The prince was playing such a lively tune that presently the strings of sausage broke away from the ceiling and fell clattering to the floor, where they danced about furiously. Not being able to see where they were going, they bumped against the giant and his wife, thumping them on their heads and backs and pounding them so severely that the woman became frightened and hid under the table while the giant started to run away. Seeing their plight, Fiddlecumdoo stopped playing and at once the sausages fell to the floor and lay still. That was strange, said the giant as soon as he could catch his breath. The bears evidently do not forget how to dance, even after they are chopped up into sausage meat. I must beg you to abandon your concert for the present, but before you visit us again, we shall have eaten the sausages and then you may play to your heart's content. Had I known they were so lively, remarked the giantess as she crawled from beneath the table, we should have eaten them before this. That reminds me, I intended to have stewed polar bear for supper, continued the giant. So I think I will walk over into Alaska and catch some. Perhaps the prince would prefer elephant pie, suggested the lady. And in that case, 
you should make a run into South America for elephants. I have no choice in the matter, said the prince, never having eaten either. But is it not rather a long journey to Alaska or to South America? Not at all, protested the giant. I shall enjoy the walk and can easily be back by sundown. Won't you come with me? He asked the boy. But Fiddlecumdoo did not like the idea of so long a journey and begged to be excused. The giantess brought her lord a great bag to put the polar bears in, and he prepared to start. I will leave you to amuse my wife during my absence, he said to the prince. Pray, make yourself entirely at home, and use my castle as you would your own home. And if I have good luck, you shall eat a delicious polar bear stew for your supper. Then he flung the sack across his back and went away, whistling merrily, and so great were his strides that in less than a minute he was out of sight. This is my busy day, said the giantess to Fiddlecumdoo, and I fear I shall not be able to entertain you in a proper manner, for I must hasten to the laundry to wash the clothes. However, if you care to accompany me, we may converse together while I am doing my work. I shall take great pleasure in visiting your laundry, he replied, for never before have I been in such a place, and surely it would be more agreeable to watch you at your work than to spend the day alone in these great rooms. Come along then, she said, and picking him up, she placed him in the pocket of her apron, for she knew he would be unable to walk down the flight of stairs that led to the laundry. He was very comfortable in the pocket, which was just deep enough to allow his head and shoulders to project from the top. Therefore, he was able to see all that was going on while the lady was at work. He watched her wash and rinse the clothes, and was greatly interested in the operation, as it was all new to him. By and by, the giantess brought an immense clothes wringer from a shelf, and having fastened it to the side of her big wash tub, began to wring out the clothes. Prince Fiddlecumdoo had never seen a clothes wringer before, and so pleased was he with the novelty of it that he leaned far out of the pocket to watch it work. But, unfortunately, he lost his balance, and before he knew what had happened to him, had fallen from the pocket and lay sprawling on one of the giant's shirts, which was just then passing through the ringer. The woman did not notice his fall, and the next instant he was drawn between the two great rollers and came out the other side, thin and flat as a sheet of paper. Then the giant's wife saw what she had done, and realizing how serious was the prince's condition, the good lady was much grieved over the accident. She picked Fiddlecumdoo up and tried to stand him on his feet, but he was so thin that at the least draft he fluttered like a flag, while a puff of wind would blow him completely over. Dear me, exclaimed the woman sorrowfully, whatever can we do with you in that shape? I really do not know what will become of me, replied the prince. I am certainly no good in this condition. I cannot even walk across the room without being toppled over. Cannot you manage to push me together again? The giantess tried to do this, but the prince was so sharp that his edges hurt her hands, and all she could do was fold him up and carry him into the drawing room, where she laid him carefully on the center table. Just before sundown, the giant returned from Alaska, bringing several fat polar bears in his bag. Scarcely had he set foot within the house before he inquired after his guest, the prince. You'll find him on the drawing room table, said the giantess. I accidentally ran him through the clothes wringer this afternoon, 
and the poor boy is as thin as a pie crust. So I folded him up and put him away until you returned. The giant immediately went to the table and unfolded Fiddlecum-Doo, asking how he felt. Very miserable, answered the prince, for I cannot move at all when I am folded up. Where is my bicycle? The giant searched all his pockets but could not find it. I must have lost it on my journey to Alaska, he said. Then how am I ever to get home again? asked the prince. That is a puzzle. I do not see how you could ride on a bicycle even if you had one, and you certainly cannot walk far in your present condition. Not if the wind blows, acknowledged the prince. Couldn't you go edgewise? asked the giant after a moment's reflection. I might try, answered Fiddlecumdoo hopefully. So the giant stood him up and he tried to walk edgewise, but whenever a breath of wind struck him he fell over at once, and several times he got badly crumpled up so that the giant had to smooth him out again with his hands. This will certainly not do at all, declared the giant, for not only are you getting wrinkled, but you're liable to be blown away altogether. I have just thought of a plan to get you back to the Valley of Mo again, and when you are in your own country, your friends may get you out of the scrape the best way they can. Hartalath then made the prince into a neat roll and tied a string around the middle to hold it in place. Then he tucked the roll under his arm and carried it to the top of the mountain that stood between the two valleys. Placing the prince carefully on the ground, he started him rolling, and in a short time he had rolled down the mountainside into the valley of Mo. At first the people were much frightened, not knowing what this strange thing could be that had come rolling into their midst. They stood around, curiously looking at the roll, but afraid to touch it, when suddenly Fiddlecumdoo began to cry out, and then so fearful was the sound, they all ran away as fast as their legs could carry them. Prince Thinkabit, however, being more courageous than the rest, at last ventured to approach and cut the string that fastened the roll. Instantly it opened, and to their amazement the people saw what it was. Upon my word, it is Brother Fiddlecumdoo, cried Prince Thinkabit. The giant must have stepped on him. No, indeed, said poor Fiddlecumdoo. I've been run through a clothes ringer, which is much worse than being stepped on. With many expressions of pity, the kind people stood the prince up and helped him to the palace, where the king was greatly shocked at his sad plight. Fiddlecumdoo was so broad that the only thing he could sit down on was the sofa, and he was so thin that when Princess Pattycake sneezed, he was blown halfway across the room. At dinner he could eat nothing that was not sliced as thin as a shaving, and so sad was his predicament that the king determined to ask the wise donkey what could be done to relieve his unfortunate son. After hearing all the particulars of the accident, the donkey said, Blow him up. I did blow him up for being so careless, replied the king, but it did not make him any thicker. What I mean, explained the donkey, is to bore a hole in the top of his head and blow air into him until he resumes his natural shape. Then if he takes care of himself, he'll soon be all right again. So the king returned to the palace and bored a hole in Fiddlecumdoo's head, and then pumped him full of air with a bicycle pump. When he had filled out into his natural shape, they put a plug in the hole and stopped it up. And after that, Fiddlecumdoo could walk around as well as before his accident. 
His only danger now was that he might get punctured, and indeed his friends found him one day lying in the garden, all flattened out again, the prince having pricked his finger on a rose bush, and thereby allowed his heir to escape. But they inflated him once again, and afterwards he was more careful of himself. Fiddlecumdoo had such a horror of being flat that if his father ever wished to make him behave, he threatened to stick a pin into him, and that always had the desired effect. After several years, the prince, being a hearty eater, filled up with solid flesh and had no further use for the air pump. But his experience had made him so nervous that he never again visited the giant Hotelaf for fear of encountering another accident.